What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 101 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. I am Josh Cannon. We are done with the 100th episode uh, grand special finale. I don't know what the fuck, but uh, now that that's over... We've now officially reached as many episodes as Unsolved Mysteries did, you know, uh, early on. Because they had their own 100th anniversary, or not anniversary, 100th special. Yeah. So now, uh, to me, it feels like, you know... You get a vacation. Imagine in a hundred years. Can you imagine if Unsolved Mysteries ran for a hundred years? That would have been insane. Well, just look at the prices, <laughs> right? For if you want a show that's ran for a hundred years, but I mean, <laughs> now I feel like it's just like you know, back to work as usual. You know, it's like the, yeah. par- the party's over. You know, the mm-hmm. streamers are on the ground. The cake is all. You know, there's like one the confetti's slice left. everywhere. It's y- in every crack and every corner. Someone's got to clean all this shit up. You know, yeah. and you, you don't feel like it. You know, the <laughs> the hangover setting in. That's pretty much, yeah. you know, you know the, the sad thing is, Mike, is uh, I actually feel more healthy and more capable on this episode than I did on episode 100 because I did not drink last night. I just got done exercising. I also got I also got some more sleep last night, so that helps. Too. Can we you want to redo episode 100 right now? Let's redo it verbatim. Let's try to, like, say the exact same things <laughs> and everything. <laughs> Nah. That'll be some art house podcast shit right there. <laughs> Dude, they totally redid their hundredth episode verbatim. It was crazy. And there'll be these like <laughs> fanboys putting our two episodes together to see how much they what the fuck am I talking about right now? Yeah. All right. Anyway, this Sounds is uh, like you still are a, a bit drunk. Really? N- no, I'm <laughs> I'm high on exercise, which is the shittiest thing to be high on. Um this is a podcast about uh, the show Unsolved Mysteries. We don't always talk about that, but uh, on this one, we sure as shit are because it's been a while. It's been a while since I could. Anyway, Mike, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. Doing fine. Uh, my grandmother had some health issues recently, but she's getting better, so that's that's a big plus. That really makes me feel better as well. I took my cat to the vet and finally figured out why he throws up his food is because the vet was like well he gobbles his food down really fast and if it's dry it's dry food so when he does that his stomach expands it not his stomach his stomach doesn't expand the food inside of his stomach expands really quickly and then he throws up that makes so sense. he said so he said wet the food down and i've done that and that's been an absolute lifesaver um and a sleep saver because I could feed him more food now, and he doesn't throw it up, so then he's more uh, willing to just lay around and leave me alone and not <laughs> bug me every four hours for food. So yeah, have you? I've seen like because my it's like having a baby, it really my, is. My aunt had outside dogs growing up, and uh, they had their food bowls out there. Whenever it would rain, it would get in the dog bowls, and I would see those little food, you know, kernels. They'd blow up like double, triple their size when they got wet. It's yeah. the same thing with cereal. Is cereal does that same kind of thing. And yeah, I guess if you have like a tiny little cat stomach, you don't... I mean, dude, that's what happens to me every time I eat like Mexican food or anything like that. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh my God. You just blow up. <laughs> yeah, like that shit expands in your stomach, man. Like it's crazy. <laughs> like totally just incapacitates me after I eat it. Like, <laughs> 
That's another thing I noticed about getting old lately. And like, this is some shit that did not happen to me in my early yeah. 20s. I, I get into food comas now. Like I will eat, if I eat too much food, I will be utterly just incapacitated for the next hour and a half at least. Like I, all I want to do is lay well, there. Well, I've never really tried to, I've always made an effort not to eat too much. So that's why that hasn't happened that often to me. Because I've always been like, if I if I feel like I'm full, like I'm done, like that's the point, you know. I try to I try to be done before I'm full, you know. If I start to feel like I'm getting full, then it's like, all right, that's enough. I can take the, the rest home. You know what, Mike? So, f- fuck you and your self control. Okay, I don't want to hear this shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. Good for you. You have self control. Yeah, I don't. Okay, I admit it. And you know, it sucks, but you know, I. <laughs> I feel like after I eat too much, I'm, I'm like a fucking lizard. I just want to lay on a hot rock under a heat lamp and just bask for so like, you're like. So you're like the skink, huh? I, that skink's gone, thank God. Or it's dead. It's dead or gone. Either way, I don't care. As long as it's not <laughs> scampering around my feet as I'm trying to edit video, then I'm cool. But, um. <laughs> well, I, speaking of a skink, uh, there's a member of our group that did some really great Photoshop. <laughs> I want to give her a shout out. Uh, Sydney Wilson Washburn, she gave, she did a Photoshop with a possum stack, uh, Robert Stack with a possum head, and Skink Farina. Skink Farina, <laughs> very original name, Mike. Dennis Farina with a, with with a skink for a head, and she even had like the hair and the mustache. Yes, and this right. is one of the many uh, benefits that you can receive by joining our Facebook group, which is. Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Just go to Facebook, go to the group section, and type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Join that group. It's, uh, it's, it's the, you get the breaking news on everything Unsolved Mysteries related. There's other stuff in there that I can't mention on air, as it were. And you get to see stuff like Skink Farina and, uh, Possum Stack. It's the best group on Facebook, I swear to God. There's like, only been like maybe one or two douchebags in there. The whole history of the group. So yeah, the the one I, the only one I could think of is that guy who was trying to uh, sell people's music or something. He was being an ass about it. Yeah, I don't know. There's another guy who was like trying to start shit with like some of our nicest, you know, some of the nicest people in the world, and he's trying to, what talk a to start dick. shit. Yeah, and I'm like, no, bye. Fuck that guy. Bye, bitch. Not in my <laughs> house. This isn't. Bitches you know. leave. Yeah. Yeah, if only like teachers had been that way in in my fucking middle school and high school growing up, maybe I wouldn't have all these fucking mental problems. Anyway, <laughs> um let's move on. <laughs> so the first case we're going to be covering is going to be the case of Elizabeth Ortiz. This was kind of a last minute switch up on the podcast because we got an update from the aforementioned yep. group um about some crazy shit that happened in this case very recently. But um, this is mainly focusing on Gilbert Ortiz. But yeah, and I'm surprised we didn't talk about this one already because this is a good case. Like yeah. it's just so crazy. It is crazy. It's like it's insane that someone you know for once would do this to another person. For, yeah. For once, the flashlight gets turned on uh, the woman in the case who who mm-hmm. was shitty instead of it always being shitty men, which is a rare occurrence because it doesn't happen much on this show. But you know, I have. Yeah, there's not. There's not as many whack women. Yeah, they have their shit more together in general than men do. It seems. 
Um, but I will say, though, in the fraud segments, which we're going to be doing an all-fraud episode here soon, um, women really like jumping in them fraud segments. Uh, they make <laughs> a lot more appearances, in the fr- which I find interesting. Yeah. Well, because think about it. I guess, you know, men are so, you know, easily manipulated by a beautiful woman, you know. it's Good old Melvine. <laughs> uh, Melvine. Yeah, it's a, it's a fraud segment, I think. Melvine April. Oh, okay. April, that's how you say uh, April in German. Anyway, Elizabeth Ortiz is the name of this case because she's the bitch who did this shit. On the afternoon of March 2nd, 1992, paramedics were called to a toy store, which we know is Toys R Us. Of course, Unsolved Mysteries can't say Toys R Us. Either way, the store is closed now, so what the fuck are you going to do? In Redwood City, California. Inside, one of the employees, 23-year-old Gilbert Ortiz, was laying on the table in the lunchroom. He was sweating profusely and experiencing severe convulsions. He told the paramedics that he had become ill after drinking a high-protein amino acid milkshake commonly used by bodybuilders to strengthen muscle. He told them that he had gotten the shake from a friend. He began to sip in and uh, slip in and out of consciousness... (laughs) Yes, yeah, well, sip. Also sip. Also I sip. Mean. That's true. He he was sipping in and out of consciousness, so I'm not wrong. That wasn't a mistake. And he was rushed to a nearby hospital. The guy in the pictures and the and in the reenactment, he doesn't look like a guy who's gonna get into bodybuilding. So it's one of those things that's like, I guess he just did it because his friend was like, Hey bro, man, like this is really good for you. Well, we find out why soon enough. Doctor, well, yeah, of course. Doctors were baffled by his condition. His wife, Elizabeth, arrived within minutes and claimed that she had never before seen the bottle that the milkshake was in. Meanwhile, Gilbert's condition worsened. He contracted pneumonia and his kidneys began to fail. He, was later, he later went under cardiac arrest and slipped into a coma. Damn. Looking into his background, investigators learned that Gilbert had met Elizabeth in 1987 while serving in the Army. Nah, this guy was a vet, too? Good Lord. Yeah. They married in 1990, shortly after the birth of their son, Jonathan. Gilbert got the job at Toys R Us. I'm not going to call it Toy Store. Damn it, I'm going to call it what it was. Um, He got the job at Toys R Us, but he and Elizabeth frequently fought over money. However, dude, I I can't even imagine being 23 years old married with a kid i mean first of all i have to get into a time machine yeah, and your job is at toys r us yeah like that's probably not bringing in that much bacon i mean it's like that's so fucking young to get married like oh my god i'd have to go back six uh wait yeah six years in a time machine to even be 23 again <laughs> and yeah at 23 i was still you and me both I was still living at my parents' house at 23, so a family was kind of out of the question for me, and I was working a fucking minimum well, wage job. Yeah, that's totally out of the question for me, and was 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 the same back then too, because I wasn't didn't have my own place yet or uh, stable income or any of that. So. so everything changed for the couple when Gilbert received a promotion in March of 1992. Less than a week later, he was in the hospital fighting for his life. Gilbert's mother and sister, Brenda, joined Elizabeth at the hospital. While in the waiting room, Elizabeth received a strange phone call, which seemed to upset her. She told them that she was going to leave to check on Jonathan, their son. However, two hours later, she came back to the room claiming that some guy with a mask had Jonathan. Brenda was confused because she thought he was 
with Elizabeth's mother. She called her and she confirmed that Jonathan was with her. Elizabeth this just sounds like some made up shit right there. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's like if you, if the person never lied before and didn't have a reason to lie, it's like you just believe them on face value at first. I guess. So Elizabeth told a nurse that she had been approached by a small boy in the hospital parking lot who directed her to a masked man in a parked car. The man claimed that he knew what had happened to Gilbert, that he drank, quote, the wrong stuff, which sounds like classic, like, bad guy talk. He drank the wrong stuff. It's a a parody of uh, New Kids on the Block single, The Right Stuff. The Right Stuff. Or the Weird Al parody of the parody, The White Stuff, talking about Oreos, which sounds way more sexually suggestive than I'm sure he originally intended. It really does. So this masked man gave her a bag which contained a bottle of liquid insecticide. The nurse contacted the Poison Control Center and the police. Five days later, Elizabeth was questioned by police about the alleged masked man. The investigators, of course, were suspicious of her strange story. After pointing out several inconsistencies, she confessed that she made the story up. Yeah. (laughs) She claimed that she found the bottle in her house and believed that he had done it to himself. Because, yeah, if you're going to kill yourself, you want to do it in a way that's going to give you severe abdominal pain. Just the the maximum. And it's a slow. Slow, and it's a slow death. painful, just the maximum amount of suffering possible, because that's how you're gonna want to kill yourself, you know. If you're a sadomasochist, that's only that you know, that's the only reason why you would choose that particular method. That's right. But if you're not, that makes no sense. The coroner finds you and you're dead, but you have a massive erection from all the punishment you went through before you died. Apparently, uh, males sometimes do have, uh, when they die, they do get erections. I heard that was a thing. It's called angel lust, I believe. <laughs> I'm not making angel that up. Lust? I'm not making that up. I, I, I'm not smart enough. That's the first time I've heard of that. You guys out there know that I wow. am not smart enough to make that up, so I must have heard it somewhere. Uh, I mean, first off, how dumb is this woman? Like, automatically, she's like, Oh, I made it up. And then she comes up with another story right off the bat that sounds equally as made up. The investigator has asked her to take a lie detector test. She claimed that she had to go to a job interview and that she would come back two hours for the test. However, she never returned. Of course. The next morning, one of the investigators spoke to her at her mother's home. She refused to come back to the police station. Eleven days later, Gilbert regained consciousness, yay, and told the police what had happened. He said that Elizabeth had told him about a co-worker's son who had, quote, bulked up by drinking amino acid milkshakes. Well, you know, yeah, you can bulk up doing that, but you also have to work out. Like, you can't just like, oh man, he just drank these milkshakes and he bulked up. (laughs) Like, you have to go to the gym. You have to lift the weights. Yeah. You have to do the work. Muscle doesn't just manifest out of nowhere. Unless you take steroids. But even then, it doesn't work that way. You still have to work out. You just get big a lot quicker. But you do have to still work out, even if you're taking roids. Ask my cousin. He knows. Anyway, I should probably strike that from the record. That's messed up. Uh, It was a long time ago. Anyway. Is he off the roids now? uh, Yeah, I guess. I I don't know. I don't really talk to him anymore. (laughs) I probably should. He's got like three kids now. I've I've only seen the two. Um, 
Yeah, I just went to some like deep family stuff out of nowhere yeah. just then. Um, he apparently made the drink and gave it to Elizabeth. Um, this co-worker's son, apparently, uh, made the drink uh-huh. and gave it to Elizabeth, who then gave it to Gilbert at around 2 p.m. in the toy store parking lot. Within minutes of drinking the milkshake, he became seriously ill. This confirmed what investigators had suspected. Elizabeth had poisoned Gilbert in an attempt to kill him. They obtained a search warrant to look in the Ortiz home, hoping to find evidence to trace the poisoning to Elizabeth. However, when they arrived, they found that Elizabeth had vanished along with their two-year-old son, Jonathan. Although a year has passed, Gilbert still has not fully recovered. The insecticide caused serious damage to his liver and nervous system. His right foot is numb, and he has difficulty walking without assistance. Man, that's just fucked up. But there is a good ending to it. He was, uh, or she, I'm so used to saying he in these cases. She was captured. Elizabeth was captured and arrested by the FBI and Mexican authorities without Jonathan near Guadalajara, Mexico, eight years after the attempted, eight years, God, eight years she got to live free uh, after the attempted murder of Gilbert, mostly based on tips to America's Most Wanted which is something Unsolved Mysteries did not mention. <laughs> they did not mention that show. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but America's Most Wanted did help catch a lot of criminals. And I, Unsolved Mysteries helped as well, but they were kind of, in a way, they were kind of collaborating with the, each other, but like not directly. But it was because they, they featured similar cases or the same cases and, and the same fugitives sometimes. So that made it so there was double the exposure. Yeah, it makes sense. Which is sense. something that you normally don't have nowadays. So it's it, it's something I think really uh, on network TV on uh, you know yeah network TV because it's not cable TV. It would be nice to have that again. A show like Unsolved Mysteries or America's Most Wanted, a prime time like at eight o'clock in the at in the evening, on a weekday, two or Saturday night, and it, that multiple exposure. But the thing is, TV is also different now. TV isn't as big and as popular as it was back then. Like, there's less people watching TV nowadays, so you could argue that it wouldn't make that much of a difference in terms of getting the the name out there and so on and so forth, and and the and the crime, but. In the 80s and 90s, it was hugely effective, uh, and both shows helped catch a ton of criminals. America's Most Wanted actually outlived Unsolved Mysteries and uh, ended up catching far more criminals. Yeah, there was such an epicness to that kind of TV back then. You know, it came on at this certain time, and everyone crowded around the TV, and you really felt like you were about to watch something special you know yeah, you and, felt like you it it was like when you watch a show like america's most wanted and unsolved mysteries it was like you were you were doing your part yeah. to help catch catch the bad guys well said and help put them behind bars yeah it's, it's it's sad that they you know that the tv as we know it is so different now and with the radio but i don't you know i don't know i think there's still like millions and millions of viewers but I think if you did a Netflix type show like that, it might it might work in today's day and age. I don't know. Netflix is so big with the binging and this, that, and the other, and 
I don't know that that, that kind of programming, uh, though unsolved mysteries is very bingeable. I don't I don't know I don't know, but I I do I just I just miss that kind of TV just in general. I miss my childhood basically. Um, <laughs> so don't we all back to this update? Um, they found Elizabeth, um, but they didn't find Jonathan. And uh, thanks, uh, well, Jonathan finally turned up several months later and he was returned to his father. And they actually show in the segment him being returned to his father and it's kind of a sweet moment. Because it's like, oh, good, like the good guy and ended up with the kid instead of the yeah, evil Yeah, but then it goes crazy later. Yeah, Elizabeth was given a life sentence plus six years for child abduction and bodily harm. She attempted to appeal her conviction in 2004, but she was uh, refused. She was denied parole in 2010 and 2014. Surprisingly, she has since been released from prison during what? two separate incidents. Uh, Why was she released from prison? Like she was denied parole two separate times, and now the third time's a charm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now, now I'm going to transition into this other article. I would think that she did that. I'm th wondering, did she do this because? Oh. Uh, he got the promotion. I, I want his money. Like, what was her? What was her plan? Like, why did she poison him? Like, what was what was the motivation behind it? I think she was trying to leave him for someone, okay. some other guy. Um, I can take the the update. Yeah, you you, you don't to. you don't really need to read like the first three or four things. Um, because we already okay. went over all that. Yeah. Well, I I, I can do it real quick. No one could say Gilbert Ortiz isn't a survivor. In 1992, his wife poisoned him with an insecticide-laced milkshake. Ortiz nearly died. Two decades later, his son, nursing a grudge over his mother's imprisonment, assaulted him. Twice. What? Wow. What? <laughs> <laughs> Little shit. Exactly. The fuck, Jeez, man? Jeez, you should have stayed with your fucking mom in Mexico. Little asshole. Uh, Wednesday, a, George, a judge ordered the son, 21-year-old Jonathan Ortiz, to spend a year in jail and four years on probation. Well, you know, if he's a year, he's in there for a year, then he can't be beating his dad anymore. His disabled father, who's disabled because his mother, your mother, fucking poisoned him. Like unequivocally, <laughs> that's what happened. You know, it's not like a rumor or a family, you know, legend. It's like no, that's that happened. Now, oh my God, that's like the mind control this chick must have over her kid. Well, you, we've seen that a lot on on cases where you had a uh, sociopathic or a little bit psychotic mothers who were inf really bad influences on their kids. Um, yeah, and you get that sort of Stockholm syndrome thing going yeah. on too. Um, like the I know I know the Baskins probably don't feel that they were brainwashed or whatever, but I I one hundred percent honestly do believe. Oh that, man, that was you're the case. you're like hearkening back to like one of our first cases, the Baskins. Yeah, jeez, I forgot yeah. all about that. Yeah, and you yeah, like we, we took it down because it's controversy because folks give you a update on the Baskins case. The Baskins case is one that wasn't featured on Amazon, and it was these two. Uh, kids who were taken by their grandparents away from their real their real parents, and the grandparents effectively brainwashed the kids into believing that their parents were 
abusing them uh, physically, emotionally, and also doing satanic rituals. Oh, surprise, surprise. They were also doing satanic rituals. And it was the 90s. Go figure. Yeah. But now the, the, the kids are all grown up and they are... 100% believing that their grandparents were telling the truth and everything was, uh, they were taken away for a reason. They don't even want anything to do with their real parents or any of their, uh, younger siblings. Did we take that and, down? That segment we did? Yeah, we did because, uh, one of the Baskins was, he like reached out to you, didn't he? Yeah. He was, he was, he was not, he was not happy about it. Oh, uh, we gotta we gotta I put was... that segment back up. Fuck him. We gotta put that back up. That was a good case. Was that on one of our I, episodes? I covered it myself. Remember, it was oh, a solo that's thing right. that I did. That's right. That's right. We didn't do it together. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. Maybe rem- one of these days we might. We might. Maybe we'll do it for Patreon or something. Yeah. True that. Um, but th- anyway, yeah, folks, it's that's happened, and uh, that the, this instantly reminded me of that particular case. So. The unusual case began in March 1992 when Elizabeth Fuentes Ortiz bought a McDonald's hamburger and a milkshake to her husband. She brought it and bought it. Uh, what's funny is she, she the McDonald's thing. And I, I'm pretty sure, you know, in some mystery, she's like, we can't bring up McDonald's. Like, that's that's a PR nightmare. We can't. <laughs> uh, she told him the shake might taste funny because it was filled with amino acids to help him build muscles. In fact, the shake had been laced with ortho-7, an insecticide. Ortiz went into convulsions 10 seconds after downing the concoction in the store's break room. His heart stopped, his liver failed, and he collapsed into a coma that lasted 11 days. But he survived and told police what had happened, and by then his wife had already made it to Mexico with Jonathan, then two, in tow. In 2000, Fuentes Ortiz was arrested near Guadalajara. She was convicted two years later of attempted murder and was sentenced to 13 years to life in prison. On June 25, 2010, Jonathan Ortiz stabbed his father, screaming about what he had done to Jonathan's mother, said San Mateo County District Attorney Steve Wagstaff. The son took the wounded man to the hospital, where Gilbert Ortiz made up a story about being robbed at gun at oh knife point. Oh my God! Defending his son even after. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Then, at, on October 17, 2010, Jonathan Ortiz attacked his father again. This time, beating him. Prosecutors said. The father again concocted a story that he'd been attacked during a robbery, but a relative contacted police and revealed what really had happened. Jonathan Ortiz claimed self-defense. In September, he pleaded no contest to felony assault. Self-defense? Yeah, yeah his, cri- later, his crippled later, father, you know. Uh, you know his, yeah. But then later, he was no contest to felony assault, so he did change his mind. But this is still this is just nuts. This is fucking nuts, folks. That this this kid would grow up and then do that to his disabled father, who is disabled because the mother, his mother, poisoned him does un- and almost killed him. Does unsolved mysteries have like the polar opposite of a um, uh, reunion segment? Because this that's what this would be. This is like a a separation episode needs to happen where it's like they were reunited and now we need to separate them because yeah. <laughs> he's a piece of shit. He's all like, fuck you, dad. You, you locked mom up in jail. You asshole. <laughs> she was only trying to kill you. God. <laughs> so sensitive. 
<laughs> yeah, man, what a little bastard. I feel Speaking of bastards, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. We have another case about another bastard, uh this time uh fraudster bastard. A bastard fraudster. Uh and it's the case of Ron Rushton. Uh, this brawny man looking motherfucker. I love his mugshot where he's just looking over, like just darting his eyes over to the right, yeah. like there's like a fucking like cheeseburger over there or something. Well, look at him. He's got the beard. He's got the plaid shirt and the white t-shirt underneath. He's the fucking brawny man. He's actually he's actually a, a handsome man. He's not a bad looking guy. He's the brawny towel man. He does look a lot. Like, he does a lot. Look a lot like the brawny paper towel guy. <laughs> I will say. So, 45-year-old Ron Rushton is wanted for swindling homeowners via a fraudulent real estate firm that would acquire title and supposedly retire the full mortgage for participants. So, yeah, what he'd do is he would get them to sign over their mortgage to him, and then he would say, oh, I'll, I'll uh, pay for it, I'll get it all taken care of, and uh, then you'll be able to keep your home and pay your bills and... So on and so forth. Well, they, course, he would assume he would assume their um, their property. their mortgage or whatever, and yeah. they, they would ha they would pay him um, a smaller fraction of what that exactly. mortgage was, and it and it you know it seemed too good to be true, and it was, and it was absolutely. And if it the one of the biggest lessons you can learn from watching this show, especially the fraud segments, if it seems too good to be true, it more than likely is. Yes. So two two victims of his scheme were Harriet and Jim Roberts, who lived in San Diego. In 1985, Harriet discovered that she had cancer. Around the same time, Jim was laid off. That's That sucks. That's just a double whammy of bullshit right there. As a result, they were unable to afford their payments on their house. In, in desperation, they turned to Rushton's company that specialized in real estate law. At the time, the company held title to over $30 million in real estate. The reenactment did a good job uh, casting Ron Rushton. Like he had this, he had this. I don't know if seedy is the right word. I'm he, trying to think he, of the. I would say he looks very wily. Yeah, wily. That's a great. Yeah, this wily look about him. Like you knew he was up to no good. Harriet learned about the company through its newspaper advertisements. One of Rushton's firms assumed title to their home, and Roberts had to pay a reduced monthly rental payment to Rushton. He then agreed to take the full mortgage payments to the bank. Harriet was worried that the company was not legitimate, but he assured her otherwise. Of course. Of course. That's what fraudsters do. That's what these fraud fucks do. They're like, oh, no, it's perfectly legal. And then, Don't you worry about that. You're in good hands. And then they go, hey, isn't that like a rare bald eagle over there in the sky? And then when you go to look, you hear as they drive away <laughs> with your money. <laughs> <laughs> so she had, uh, after signing over her mortgage to Rushton, she was elated. She, she had saved her credit rating and was still able to make her medical payments. Furthermore, they were able to stay in their home. Six months later, Harriet received a surprise visit from the representatives of the bank that held her mortgage. They received foreclosure papers and were told to leave their home within three days. Damn, three days? Like, that's not very much time. No. To find another place to stay, to get all your stuff packed up, and moved out of the house. 
Rushton had apparently not paid their mortgages. She tried to contact the foreclosure services, but was unsuccessful. Well, that sucks. Three days later, she and Jim had to leave their home and move into an apartment in the low-income district. I love how they put it that way. They're like, it's a low-income district. And they're like, they have to basically move into a uh, slum. <laughs> in a really shitty neighborhood, probably somewhere in, in San Diego. In the ghetto. In the ghetto. After receiving several complaints about Russian's business practices, bankruptcy trustee Tom Tucker was called in to investigate. In June of 1985, Rushton's businesses were seized. Tucker discovered that in almost every case, Rushton had assumed the loans, collected the rent money, and skillfully avoided making any of his promise payments to the bank. As a result, he accumulated an illegal fortune. A former employee recalled that at the peak of operation, the gross income ranged from $100,000 to $130,000 per month. Damn. Well, yeah, I mean, when you're just taking people's mortgage payments and not paying their mortgage, but they were suckered into giving you the money, yeah. Yeah. I mean, rent, mortgage, they're kind of interchangeable, but I mean, yeah, I gotta, I have to pay almost $1,000 a month to stay here, so... No, but it's saying this, is, this was from the rents on the properties. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's just taking so that money. So they also rented out the property. Instead of helping their customers, they were taking advantage of the situation. Shortly after the takeover, Rushton left town. With him, he carried an unknown quantity of cash. And apparently his wife was also in on this, too, because in the reenactment, she's there and helping him out. and uh, Seems to be totally okay with it. I guess, I guess she's... Uh, I don't know gold digger is the right word, but... Um, Accomplice. Accomplice, for sure. Uh, Willing accomplice. Quite unlike the fraud segment with the one fatty McFatterson guy who was writing checks to himself from the <laughs> yeah. company and his wife was just like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he just kept saying he was getting new promotions at his job. Yeah, Richard Ralph. Yeah. Yeah, Ralph. So, uh, since Tucker's audit was still in progress, no charges were filed at the time. He fled to Reno, Nevada, where he began a lucrative credit card scam under many different assumed names. So he could continued. He continued frauding, man. Just did not stop. In December of 1987, the scam was uncovered and he was arrested. I love the reenactment here of him getting arrested. The the actor who plays Ron Rushton is like just so over the top and, and, and it's just so lovely when they yeah when it. they like bust in the door and tackle him to the stairs he like looks <laughs> back with this wily stare in his eye and that was actually used in the opening credits for unsolved yeah. mysteries for a, a good while yeah fun fact and he's, he's, he's just like do you have a warrant <laughs> do you have a warrant <laughs> and then i'd love the cop to just pull one out of his pocket yeah i do it's right here <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay, so, just making sure, as you were. <laughs> <laughs> so he pleaded guilty and was sentenced to six years in prison. However, he escaped from a minimum security prison in Boron, California, November of 1988, and has not been seen since. Why was he, a, case first, you know, why was he in a minimum security prison, first of all? I mean, that's like grand theft, I mean, at least fraud. White collar, yeah. white collar crime. Yeah, which is clearly not nearly... Man, I don't know. I don't understand that shit. I mean, yeah, you're not physically threatening anyone's life, but good lord, man. I mean, you're you're killing them 
over the long term because you know a lot of these people get yeah. so frustrated that they sometimes they will take their own lives because they're like well well then other people they their lives are ruined because of this yeah i was actually watching a, a michael moore documentary i know a lot of people rolling their eyes right now but is capitalism a love story <laughs> and it was basically about mm -hmm. like you know how the 2008 crash like fucked over a lot of people with their how you know the houses and this that and the other and uh you know, like bank robbery started going up and this, that, and the other. So it's like, yeah, these white collar crimes are, uh, they affect society more right, than, than somebody just breaking into your house and stealing, you know, a TV. I got a funny story about that. Stealing a TV. Yeah, I remember um, you, the, you, you're the person who was your mom's friend or something stole a TV. From yeah, you, right? yeah. Yeah, you told that. I on stole here. a TV and then left a note. What the note say? I'll never forget that because that's hilarious. The note basically said something like, "Uh, yeah, I really needed the TV. Um, I didn't, I didn't steal any of your son's stuff though. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I loved about it. For more reasons than one, because you know, it's like I'm sorry. I, you know, I needed the money, so I stole the TV, and it wasn't even that good of a TV. It was like a Polaroid." A TV that you'd uh, use for security purposes, so um, it didn't even have all the functions like a normal TV would. Also, it wasn't worth that much, but I just I just love it because it was put in the mailbox, and it was just sorry. That is kind of funny. I stole your TV. I didn't steal any of your son's stuff though, so I'm not that bad. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, he was uh, actually captured uh, in San Francisco. An anonymous tip led investigators to stake out two low-rent motels. Russian was arrested and taken to San Diego, where he stood trial for fraud and escape. He was sentenced to 110 years imprisonment. Boom. In addition, using records from a scam operation, Russian was ordered to make restitution to all whom he had swindled. However, due to his low savings and limited means of legal income, the restitution is ongoing and seems unlikely it will be repaid in full. But he was released from prison in 1994. What the fuck? What was the 110 years about? <laughs> See, that's a dude. This is what I don't understand. And I mention this all the time. Some cases, the police walk in, they go, yeah, this is a suicide. And then they turn around and walk out. Other cases, they're tearing up swatches of carpet and investigating, like, fucking shit stains from a dog, like, 20 years prior. And then, in situations like this, it's like, yeah, you're gonna be sentenced to 110 years, buddy, and it's like, ah, you got out two years later. And then sometimes, you know, you get sent to prison, and it's like, no matter how many final appeals, no matter what happens, your ass is staying in there. And yeah. yeah, I mean, God, this this guy must have had some kind of influence. He must have been friends with a judge or something. Or maybe he was just, you know, really good at making paper towels and selling them or, <laughs> in jail. And he, or maybe the 110 years is a typo maybe, on Wiki. Maybe I don't they know. meant dog years, 110 dog years, <laughs> the human years. It was it was much less. Yeah, this segment was also one of the. Uh, missing segments from Amazon. It was only on. Uh, I think it was on one. It might have been on one of the specials with Stack. I don't know for sure, but I know it was on one of the first uh, season episodes for sure. True, true. I mean, it, it was used like you said. It was used in the intro. Ron Rushton get 
his the reenactor's widely looking face. Looking like a damn caged dog, you know, who was pissed <laughs> off. Just <laughs> like he looked angry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Half expected to see foam. Uh, he kind of was foaming at the mouth. It, it kind of kind of appeared that way. Speaking of foaming at the mouth oh, and crazed dogs. Look at you with the segment or the, the transitions, the segues today, Mike. You're like a fucking pro. Only took a hundred episodes. <laughs> uh, the next case we're going to talk about is actually something from sightings. Yeah. Oh, Mike's got such a boner right now. <laughs> no, not really. But it's just it's it's a fun, fun, nice thing to change some things up. And there's some really crazy, absurd stories on there that I guarantee Robert Stack would just look at and be like, oh, come on. This is bullshit. There's Ooh. no way this is real. Oh, come on, punky. <laughs> this is clearly bunkum. <laughs> yeah, let me just say, I watched this uh, this segment. Mike sent it to me and whatever. I keep an open mind about mm -hmm. things. And I, I, I don't know if all the sightings is like this, but from this particular episode, because I watched the whole episode, it just felt like those like um, Midnight Star magazines or those magazines in the grocery store, the... The the Inquirer, where it was like this, yeah, yeah, like yeah. UFO take pictures of heaven. Like I remember that was one of the headlines <laughs> when I was I was with my grandma when I was a kid, and we were waiting in line in the grocery store, and it said it literally had this mock up like 1950s looking fake UFO on the cover of National Enquirer. It's like UFOs <laughs> take pictures of heaven, and I'm like, Granny, the UFOs take pictures of heaven, and my grandma goes, Good, maybe we can we can finally see what it looks like. <laughs> Without skipping a beat, that was pretty funny. But this show feels like a. It's not. Not every episode is like it, that. It, fe okay. it did feel I like be perfectly a video version of those magazines, though. It's, it was a little early on when it was on Fox. The twenty-minute episodes, there there is that kind of vibe. But as it goes on, they kind of they cut down on on sort of the Midnight Sun type uh, stories. Or I don't know if Midnight Sun's a thing. Uh, you know, uh, those but, tabloid, crazy, wild. Do, I don't even know if those magazines even exist anymore. With the crate, like Bigfoot, ra yeah. like rapes a turtle or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is that still floating around? They don't. They don't have fucking titles you like know, that. It was always no. some crazy cryptozoological UFO the, thing. Like the what? What is it? The Weekly World News or something? Some, some bullshit magazine, and like I'm sure people bought it. Bat Boy. <laughs> I mean, you figure, I mean, it made its way to grocery store, you know, checkout counters, so they were doing something right. Yeah. With their... The thing with this particular case is the case of the South End werewolf, Bill Ramsey. There are some instances where it is like, it honestly is for me, definitely uh, something that makes you pause. Like when you have actual police officers talking about some of these things, it's like, they don't really gain anything by making any of this up, you know? Yeah, well, where did this take place? Took place in England. Oh, yeah, it took place... Okay, let me just tell you something. When you, when you fuck the same people on a small little island for years and years and years, people start looking a little freaky after a while. Like, the... All the white people just constantly having sex with each other. You're going to have, like, yeah, werewolf-looking people and bat-looking people and all kinds of weird shit over there. Well, it wasn't just that. I mean, it was some of the things that they saw, like half his body sticking out through a little hole 
in a in a door. Years of in, I mean, years of inbreeding will do that to you. You can do stuff like that. You get powers. You know. I don't know. I I, I really don't buy that. They just make that shit up. I'm really just don't. fucking with you, Mike. I totally believe it a hundred percent that it all happened. No, you don't. You're right. I don't. I that was a lie as well. I don't even know what the truth <laughs> is anymore. I really don't. <laughs> so um. So yeah, you watched the whole episode. Interesting. Yeah, I did. Um, oh, I was cutting up the names to put into the literal big black <laughs> hat that I have here that I'm going to draw from later on in this. Um, well, I should have probably mentioned that at the beginning. <laughs> I'm gonna sightings definitely is not unsolved mysteries. Okay, it does not have the same approach. It does not have the same budget. I would say it a- couldn't hold a tea light candle to unsolved mysteries. No, but at the same time, it does have its own charm. And it can, and it is fun to watch just to see some you know the crazy stories and it is mainly focused on paranormal. I thought it was so, I thought it was funny how the announcer at the be- like or throughout the segments like they would cut to him and he was behind a Tim a, White. Yeah, they'd cut to the him. host. Yes, the host. That what I said. Because <laughs> there actually is an announcer on the show. Oh, That's okay, what I'm the host. Okay, whatever. Um, you hear me getting a little annoyed there, Mike. Um, <clears throat> no, but they kept cutting to him. <laughs> And he was like behind this desk, and the desk was like a little too high, and he looked like I don't know, he looked like a little kid behind this desk. It was almost like I felt like it was like halfway Mad TV esque. Like it was on Fox, so I mean, yeah. but that's and Mad TV hadn't hadn't uh, aired yet. Uh, this, you know, the first couple seasons were on Fox, so it was a lot cheaper in terms of the, the production. But they they made it look like, like it was like a news segment because he he was behind the desk, and then they'd have this well, graphic appeared to the left side yeah. of his head, and he's a newscaster. <laughs> oh, is that? Oh, okay, I didn't know. Yeah, that, that makes it a little more, I guess, legit then. If yeah, he's actually a newscaster, but anyway. So anyway, this is a case of the South End werewolf. Andy Warhol once said that in the future, everybody will be world famous for 15 minutes. This is certainly true of unassuming carpenter Bill Ramsey. And this is from Historic Mysteries uh, uh, website. Did Bill Ramsey suffer from clinical lycanthropy or demon possession? Now, like clinical lycanthropy is actually a real thing. Like there, It is a mental disorder where people believe that they are a wolf. So that's actually a proven mental disorder. I, I do believe that he has might have had some case like that. The demon possession thing—it's—it's it's like <laughs> that's what makes this this case so much fun to talk about because it's just so fucking weird and out there and crazy, and it is something straight out of a tabloid. But then you have these other things to it that are like somewhat plausible and believable but then you have the other stuff that's like oh come on now give me a fucking break uh you even get the uh conjuring couple involved (laughs) with everything um so the first documented rage of bill ramsey uh born and bred in sx in the sx seaside town of south end the first inkling of trouble came when william ramsey was just nine years old Like any normal child, he was outside in his back garden when he began to feel strange. It was deep into one Saturday afternoon in 1952 when an icy blast of frigid cold swept all over him. Perspiration froze on his skin and and a foul stench came close to making him vomit. Perspiration froze? (laughs) Did it like freeze into ice crystals? (laughs) 
The bewildered youngster only had two things on his mind, running away to a life on the ocean wave and wolves. By the time he was close to the garden fence and only the calls of his mother brought him out of whatever had gripped him. However, something else took complete control of him instead. Intense and pure rage had installed itself firmly within his psyche. Using this and the adrenaline-fueled strength he now possessed, he had uprooted a fence post with the fence still attached and was swinging it like a club. Can you, can you picture that? It's a nine-year-old kid just fucking swinging around a fence post with a, like a fucking mace. No, no, I cannot picture that. Not even his parents could easily remove the post with their bare hands. What the young child did next made both of his parents flee back into the relative safety of their home, leaving Bill isolated outside. Bill Ramsey placed a wire meshing into his mouth and began gnawing at it. Ew. The cold sensations returned and a low growl emanated from deep within him. Both his parents remained inside the house until it was apparent that their son had calmed down considerably. The photo they have here of him, he definitely does look, I mean, look at him. It almost looks like one of those old uh, Universal Monster movies, you know, like before uh, Lon Chaney Jr. turns into a werewolf or something. <laughs> a brief pause. For nearly 15 years after that terrifying incident, nothing even remotely similar happened in the life of Bill Ramsey. He had grown up, got married, and became a doting father of three. The first two years of his marriage, though, were plagued by nightmares. Each dream was the same, and the results ended up identical as well. Ramsey always woke in a cold sweat and was overwhelmed by feelings of dread and unease. Did he also uh, have feelings of dread in his basement or attic? Uh, in his dream, he was always a few steps behind his wife, who would then turn to face him and run away in extreme terror. It was only in 1967 when, that those dreams ended. And 18 months on, and Bill woke one night to hear that what he thought was panting of a wild animal somewhere inside the bedroom. He was correct. It was Bill himself. Getting a little bit too freaky in the bedroom. <laughs> the South End Werewolf returns. Once again, there was a lull in activity for approximately 15 years. It was now 1983, and Bill was out with some friends at a local pub. After several drinks, Bill began to feel the same icy chills that first manifested much earlier in his life. He made an excuse and headed to the lavatory. Once there, he checked himself in the mirror and saw a wolf looking back at him. This was just a precursor as to what was to happen on their way home. In the car ride home, without any warning, Bill began to growl and immediately turned to his fellow passenger. Both hands twisted into claws, and Ramsey tried to bite the leg of his friend. The designated driver didn't panic. He brought the car to a stop and made attempts to get the raging Bill out of the back of the car. It took several minutes and quite a bit of effort to finally get Bill out of the car, but by now the frenzy dissipated. Can you just imagine that guy? <laughs> wow. What if it was like an Uber nowadays? But he, he would probably ask for more money. You know, I, I need more money for this. You know, I, I didn't... I, I had no plans to deal with uh, wolf spirit possession. So I, I need a, an extra $10 on top of uh, the, the initial payment. Thank you. Worst it was to come, but not for another 18 months. Shortly before Christmas 1983, Bill began to suffer from chest pains and thoughts immediately turned to a possible heart attack. Well, I mean, it's before Christmas. A lot of people get stressed out, you know, especially if they didn't uh, get gifts on time, you know, last-minute shopping and all of that. Or if you're tight on money and you're like, well, I can't really get all, the, all my relatives' gifts, 
or, or really good gifts. So, so Bill checked himself into the emergency room with a local hospital and was halfway through a blood pressure examination when he sank his teeth into the arm of the nurse and ran through the ward like a man possessed. <laughs> Witnesses would later reveal that Bill had hunched shoulders and both hands had curled into talons or claws and his lips were bare just like a rabid animal. Yeah, it's silly. But like these are witnesses, okay? Like these are witnesses in a hospital. Like what? What is what? What? What do the doctors and the nurses? They get to they get to be on a TV show. (laughs) I think this this wasn't from the TV show though. What was this? A police report or something? Well, the other stuff was a police report. (laughs) All right. Anyone that dared approach was knocked down easily with almost superhuman strength. It took quite a few people working as a team to finally subdue the rampaging man. Sounds like he was on PCP. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Bath salts or some shit. A police officer managed to place handcuffs around Ramsey's wrists, but this was still not sufficient. A tranquilizer finally put an end to the outburst. The following morning, this tranquilizer had worn off, and so did the original transformation. After a hearty breakfast... The attending doctor listened to the whole story and recommended that Bill remain under observation. No shit. Surprised he didn't wake up in a zoo like uh, David in American World of London. And it would just be like, I'm a fucking werewolf. <laughs> so, however, uh, and then he goes and steals some kid's balloons. He's got to cover up his genitals. Naked American man stole my balloons. However, he was a voluntary patient and was fully entitled to check himself out. Bill did so, but was back within the span of two months. In January of 1984, Bill had finished a visit to his mother when he began to feel an attack coming on. He made it to the same hospital on the same terms of his previous visit. The attending nurse was also alone with Ramsey in the emergency room and feared for her life when she told Ramsey that she was going to find a doctor. Ramsey threw to one side and lunged for an orderly. By chance, four police officers entered the hospital and immediately circled Ramsey. The officers and Ramsey had a standoff for a few seconds until Ramsey began snarling and growling at all four. The police advanced on Ramsey, who defended himself with some vigor, and one of four police officers suffered wounds so severe that he ended up in the hospital for another four days. All four managed to handcuff Ramsey again. The short walk to the waiting squad car went off without incident, as Ramsey had apparently regained his faculties, and when he arrived at the local police station, the police surgeon was immediately summoned. Ramsey considered the suggestion of checking himself into a mental institution, but decided against it, citing the stigma that he might feel in the days to follow. Dude, go to the fucking mental institution. Fuck's sake. Don't give a shit. You should not give a shit about the stigma. Like, you already have all this shit that's going on. There's probably rumors around town that you're some fucking wild, crazy werewolf man. So I'd probably say, just, just, just do yourself and everyone else a favor and... And, you know, admit yourself. Uh, since he was clearly in control and rational, Ramsey was released. In summer of 1987, he was back at the police station. This time, however, he was much more public. He was much more public spirited. Having made a citizen's arrest to a local teenage prostitute, he drove her to the station. What a man. What crate. a man. Yeah, really? Serious. Was he was he actually doing undercover shit? It was like, oh, I need some pleasure. And then, oh, gotcha. She probably like turned. She probably turned his werewolf ass down, and he's like, "I'm gonna have you arrested. What you're doing is immoral." <laughs> Should have sucked my dick. 
The second that he parked his car, she fled into the station. Ramsey once again felt the now familiar sensation surging from the middle of his chest just as a burly policeman approached the car. The officer, considerably bigger than Ramsey, started to question him and made the big mistake of gently touching Ramsey's arm. The wolf within him took immediate hold of Ramsey and the officer was thrown to the ground and was having the life choked out of him until help finally came. Ramsey was so wild that it took a dozen policemen to hold him down and two injections to finally restrain him. For the next 10 days, countless MRIs, x-rays, and psychiatric tests could not determine what was wrong with Ramsey. Clearly, there was some issue that needed resolving. Nobody should really switch from mild-mannered rationale to a rampaging berserker and back again in the space of a few minutes unless there was something seriously wrong. Then turns to demonologists and exorcism. One thing that went in Bell's favor was a visit to London of Americans' dim demonologists, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who you might be familiar with from the Conjuring films. Bill's story appeared on a television show at the time of their stay. Lorraine immediately considered that Bill was being possessed and got in touch with the South End on Sea Police Station. After dialogue on both sides, the Warrens were given the chance to talk to the Ramses. They're showing a photo here in this article that shows Ramsey uh, at this exorcism. And he does. He have his he has his hands in a claw-like uh, position. And he's like burying his teeth and everything. So the Warrens negotiated with Bill Ramsey and finally convinced him to come to their church in Connecticut and undergo an exorcism with their own special, bis, specialist, Bishop Robert McKenna. Uh, Ramsey's were interviewed. Uh, I mean, the Ramsey was interviewed on sightings and uh, this episode, the sightings episode that we saw, and also uh, the uh, the Warrens were also interviewed as well. And, and uh, the Warrens are definitely an interesting couple. <laughs> Pretty kooky. The one, uh, the Lorraine is talking about how you know Ed's like, I don't know about this, a werewolf. Come on, but Lorraine's like. Come on, like, you know, it could be, you know, why not? <laughs> and of course, they eventually wrote a book about it, of course. Gotta cash in, baby. N need to make that money. Uh, so, he entered to go with the exorcism. Bill relented and made the trip with his wife in 1989. Tabloid newspaper, The People, sponsored the trip. The night before the exorcism was to take place, Ramsey tries to strangle, tried to strangle his wife while she slept. When the exorcism actually began, Bill was not at all impressed. The service was being conducted in Latin, and for half an hour, nothing was happening. But then, Bill then took on an entirely different appearance. His face contorted, and both hands formed claws. And McKenna is trying to say that uh, he looked more and more like a wolf, and the, and the Warrens are going overboard with his ears pointed. And, and I was just like, come on. Really? No. <laughs> So, uh, McKenna commanded the demon to leave. The full force of werewolf fury descended on, on McKenna at one time and then disappeared for good. The whole event was recorded on film. And they show some footage of, of McKenna, like, with uh, with Ramsey, and he's doing the whole snarling thing, and his claws are... He's got his claws out. It's kind of eerie, but it also is, it also is funny, to be honest. <laughs> I gotta be perfectly honest. It's, it's so absurd, you can't help but laugh. Right? That's why I felt like it was good to talk about because I, I I was doing it for the yucks, for the lols, if you will. <laughs> so uh, Bill Ramsey has last appeared in public in 1992 
when he updated his progress. Just before his exorcism, the transformations were increasing, increasing in both frequency and seriousness. Since that time, there have been no incidents recorded. No one has been rampaging uncontrollably through the streets of South End on sea in almost 15 years now. But Bill Ramsey has been quiet for just as long as that before. I don't know. I'm like, is this just a case of a guy who was mentally ill, had some kind of uh, schizophrenic thing, mixed with lycanthropia, or, you know, is lycanthropic or something? Or was he actually possessed by a wolf spirit? I don't know about a wolf demon. Like, that seems a bit out there for me, even for me, you know? Yeah, I, <laughs> I just, I let you run with this one, Mike, because I know you really like sightings. <laughs> I'm not alone on that either. Uh, yeah, you and 10 other people also like the show. You're right. <laughs> There's a bigger cult following than 10 people. Okay, 25. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say about it? <laughs> uh, no, I, I really don't. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I believe it. I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's probably like a mental illness of some kind, if anything, you know, and maybe he has, maybe he's just a strong person. I don't know. All right, guys, it is uh, that point in the podcast, and I'm doing video right now, too, where um, we are going to draw the winners. And I had to put on clothes for this part, so, because I'm on video right now, which I will post to our Facebook group. Uh, we draw the winners of the record... The Unsolved Mysteries record and the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries shirt. And I have an official black hat right here, which you will see on the video. But um, as you can see, I have a bunch of names on pieces of paper here. I Because, okay, so what happened was like last week on the 100th episode, since I wanted people who listened to the actual podcast to get the record, I said um, I'm going to name some fruit. Or, or food, rather, that I really enjoy. I'll put it in the group, and then I want you to respond with your favorite food. And we had about, I don't know, 47-ish people put their entries in, and I'm hoping they all listen to the podcast and they didn't just go, oh, people are naming a bunch of food, so I'm going to do that too. Um, oh, cool, I just realized I wasn't recording this whole time on my stupid fucking phone. That's cool. Uh, I'm not doing that over again. That part's going to stay in the podcast, but now I'm recording. I'm such a pro! After a hundred episodes... Again! I'm a pro. That's twice in the same episode. Yeah, well, you know, it is what it is, so... That's a new thing. That's a new error. So, anyway, now we are recording um, the video... And live, as we're doing the podcast right now, I, I don't, I didn't think much when I did this, folks. Um, so we're going to draw the winners out of the hat for the, uh, the Unsolved Mysteries record and the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries t-shirt. Um, again, I'll, I'll, I'll say this announcement uh, a second time since uh, apparently I wasn't recording the first time. Man, I can't believe how much of a fucking moron I am. Like, really. Um, so I, I named a... My favorite food, one of my favorite foods, turkey sandwich in the group. And then you all named your favorite foods. And uh, if you named a favorite food, including your girl's ass, which was a response by somebody, I can't act like I'm above that. I would have, and uh. I would have said something like that when I was younger, probably. <laughs> so anyway, I have the slips of paper here. I'm going to draw two names. The first name is going to be for the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries shirt. Um, so here we go. That will be... Drum roll, please. Yes, that will go to... 
Leslie Davis. Leslie Davis, you get an Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries shirt. Yay. Yay. So get back to me. Uh, if you don't get back to me soon about the prize, I, I'll give it a few days. Then I'm going to have to draw a different name. So now the grand prize, the uh, Unsolved Mysteries soundtrack. And that's going to go to, please God, let them be domestic so I don't have to incur those shipping charges. That's going to go to Danielle, Danielle Lambeck. Holy shit, she just messaged me on uh, Facebook, and, and it's not collusion, I swear to God. Um, I drew it out of the hat randomly. You saw it on the video here, folks. Danielle Lamb, Lamb, Lambeck. Time to break out the skeptic whistle and in celebration. So congratulations to Danielle and Leslie. Thank you, everyone else, for playing. Um... So yeah, I will send you that that record. We'll get your information and um, yeah. So thank you for playing and participating to celebrate our hundredth special. I'm now going to turn the video aspect of it off and go back to the podcast. Okay, <laughs> so now we're back. So congratulations, ladies. Two ladies won. Awesome. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you can again. You can join the podcast. I already mentioned how you can do that. Uh, by uh, a podcast group, rather, by going to Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. We have a Patreon. You can join by going to uh, patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Um, what else? <laughs> I, uh, that, that Having to video myself and do like the podcast at the same time really uh, confused me. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's it for our actual episode, right? Yeah. We did three things. Okay, uh -huh. coming in a little short. That's okay. Just just do the, you know, plugging other stuff and then the goodbyes. <laughs> Alright. I you know, I do two things at once and you see what happens, folks. Like this is why anyway, this is why I shouldn't I shouldn't be in any important position anywhere ever. <laughs> you if you want to catch more of me and Mike separately, but Oh, so equally. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, which more of you should do, because we have very entertaining content separately. You can find us at, uh, you can find Mike at youtube.com slash OCP communications. He does YouTube videos about uh, movies and some other stuff, but he mainly does movies. Uh, what was the last thing that you reviewed, Mike? The last, uh, I reviewed multiple things because I posted my first episode of The Watch List, which is a new series where I'll be talking about multiple different films, television, or animation that I've been watching lately that I didn't feel there was enough meat on the bone for a full-length video. So I talked about Father Figures, Life of the Party with Melissa, with Melissa McCarthy, um, Blockers, and Tag. So I talked about four films in one video, and they're all comedies. Wow. So that's the last thing I that's talked a lot, about. That's a lot of Mike. Um... If you want to check out my content, I do video game reviews, uh, movie, TV show, uh, uh, tutorials, and informational videos, taste tests, uh, skits. I do too much, honestly. Uh, you can find me at youtube.com slash dancingwithghosts. My last video I did was um, reviewing um, a device that an MP3 player... And my question I posed was, will this MP3 player bring back iPods? Because it's very similar to an iPod. It's a Fio X1. And um, it's a lossless music player. And it's it's a really good product. And it was not a paid advertisement or anything. But um, yeah, that was the last video I did. Um, I'm starting to upload my videos to Facebook now. Um, 
like natively onto Facebook instead of like just sharing a link. Uh, I'm gonna try that out, dude, because I want I want an out for YouTube. I'm sick of YouTube, so I want I want an out. I'm I'm trying other methods. But good luck. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. But any, anyway, <laughs> it's a little bit of a short podcast, so I think it's short but sweet um, and to the point. Until next yep. until next week, hopefully we'll be doing like an all fraud segment or something. Um, we will talk to you guys later. Have a good rest of your night. Don't die. Goodbye. See ya. What's up, everybody? Josh here. Just wanted to let everyone know that my new album, The Nightmare Inside You, is now available on Bandcamp, Spotify, and iTunes. Thank you for any and all support. It means the world to me. case is going to be it was uh suggested by one of somebody it's on my suggested list so i'm assuming somebody suggested this but me not remembering who suggested it is very you know trademark of of our podcast and me as a person it's eileen mangold and um i think this is one of the ones that was not on the prime the amazon prime uh episodes do you know if that's true or not wasn't this going to be the Patreon segment? Oh, you're correct, Mike. I am not on my shit at all. We have our first edit. 7.45. Wow, I'm a fucking moron. I guess we could do Elizabeth Ortiz or Ron Rushton. Yeah, that's supposed to be Elizabeth Ortiz. Okay, fuck. All right. Wow, I'm, I'm, you know, the energy's there, but the, uh, the just the <laughs> the mental capacity to, like, just not be an idiot isn't there. All right, we'll jump back in.